The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Glad you guys are here. If you're joining online, welcome. This is the last week you guys got to put up with me. That's exciting, right? (laughs) Pastor Jimmy will be back next week. And uh, it's been a joy to bring the word to you guys. I've been thankful for God to speak to me through through his word and uh, frankly, hold me accountable to hear from him and and to listen to what his word has to say to me as I figure out what he might want to say to you. And that's uh, preaching and teaching and and leadership and ministry has always been something I've not taken for granted as God uses to uh, lead me. And we are going to find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, Luke chapter 15 I had previously in this series done some storying for you guys leading up to the sermon that we're giving, Uh, but I'm not going to do that today. Sadly, we don't have the time. I may not have enough breath for all that, but chapters 13 and 14 are absolutely loaded with incredible teaching from Jesus, lots of stories. There's about 50 sermons in there. Uh, I will spare you. But this morning, I felt God strongly saying to land here in chapter 15, and it's described by scholars and some pastors as the lost chapter, and for good reason. Jesus teaches us three parables about things that are lost, and he's teaching it to the people, the tax collectors, the sinners, as well as the disciples that are following him around. And at this point in time, by way of brief uh, background, Jesus is, this is written, this, this chapter at this particular time was somewhere around A.D. 33, okay? And Jesus started his ministry right around A.D. 30 and believed to have been placed on the cross and, and resurrected around A.D. 34. So this is kind of on the, this is in the fourth quarter of Jesus's ministry, okay? He's, he's uh, close to the end. He's, he's, he's approaching the cross, and things are, uh, have, have elevated in his life and in the nation of Israel. Jesus is no secret. It's, he's no surprise to anybody anymore. He, you know, there have been, to this point, dozens and dozens of miracles recorded and, uh, you know, feeding of the 5,000 and the wedding at Cana, you know, turning water to wine. He walks on water. He casts out uh, the swine, into uh, the, the demons into the swine, and they run into the lake. And I mean, so many, right? Dozens and dozens and dozens. Word about Jesus has spread. And he continues to have these encounters with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the religious people of the day. He continues to have these encounters. And they're always in some type of opposition, right? Like, it's always the tax collector, or I'm sorry, the Pharisees or the scribes approaching Jesus about his lifestyle, you know, and, and, and in this case, we'll read that it's he's, he eats with sinners. <laughs> that was their accusation. I mean, how dare Jesus eat with sinners, man? That is unacceptable, in not tolerated, okay? And I, just for my own personal study, as I was reading, and I kept noticing, I'm like, golly, man, he just keeps running into these guys, right? Every, 
Literally, it seems like in every town and around every street corner or around every bend in the river, wherever Jesus was, in every cove of the lake, right? Jesus is encountering these scribes and Pharisees who are in opposition to the life that he's living. And so I was like, how many of these guys are there? Is he running into the same 10 dudes that are like troublemakers? You know, they're like the bullies at at recess. Um, Or how many? And so I did some digging and this might, you might got, you guys might find this interesting as well. Scholars and historians believe roughly somewhere around five to 6,000 people during the time of Jesus that would have been defined uh, as a Pharisee or a scribe, right? Someone who uh, at that, was a professional Jew, okay? They were in the business of interpreting and teaching the law. They were experts in the, the law. And so I thought, okay, it makes sense why he keeps bumping into these guys, you know, and what, what's happening is he's actually teaching the same message over and over and over, that, that their religious practices and their mindset around who God is is completely false and actually the opposite of the lifestyle that God wants them to live. And Jesus is modeling that for them. So anyway, when he encounters the Pharisees and the scribes here, just know it's one of these five or 6,000 people. There is a group of them that are at this gathering that are gathered around to listen to Jesus. So join with me, verse 1, Luke chapter 15. Let's get into the Word. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, I'll pause and say, you know, the Pharisees, it, it, Josephus, the historian, is, a play, is one of the places where we know uh, what the Pharisees were like. Uh, also, we know what they were like by the way that Jesus t- teaches about them in the New Testament. But uh, his history would, would tell us that, you know, they wore their robes and they were adorned, you know, in the fancy uh, priestly garments and the likenings of, of what you would expect um, a, 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 in, their, in their priestly garments, so to speak, right? And these, these nice, tight, fancy robes and the funny hats and like, but what they would do is they would, as they would go out into, the, into public places, man, they would, they would cinch those robes down tight. And like they wanted them hugged close to their body. And they would kind of, it's recorded that they would almost scoot around in like a funny manner. Like they didn't even hardly walk normal. They were so worried about bumping into somebody like a sinner or a tax collector or a, a Galilean, you know, or a, a Gentile or by all means a woman. I mean, if they touched her, they were by every measure, unclean, they had to live in exile, they were, you know, um, quarantined, so, so to speak, and they, they lived in fear and paranoia around the, their lifestyle, and they believed that God was going to be mad at them if, he, if they literally bumped into somebody in the marketplace, and so, man, they literally uh, kept, a, kept a tight vest, so to speak, and, and really navigated their whole lives in this type of way. And so Jesus, you know, I think it's back in chapter 7, he, Jesus was extremely radical to these guys because, you know, a Pharisee, if you must remember, he invited Jesus into his home to eat. And so Jesus is eating at the table, they're reclined at the table, it says, and you remember the woman comes and she wipes her hair 
all over his feet, and she pours perfume all over, and she's literally giving her life at that moment, and she is rubbing on Jesus's feet and laying her hair on his feet, and she's offering herself as a living sacrifice. And the Pharisees are so uncomfortable, they just do not know what to do. They cannot believe, like, they're like, he is, how is he not exploding? How is God not striking him dead? You know, and it's like, he is God, right? Uh, they didn't realize that God was actually sitting in their home. And he was teaching them a lesson at that time uh, that all that lady needed to do was come to him, come to Jesus, and she was healed, right? Same with the woman of the issue of blood. She touches the hem of the robe of Jesus and was healed. You know, those are stories that precede the ones we're getting into today. But nonetheless, Jesus is consistent in his message to the Pharisees. And so again, this time their accusation was he's just spending too much time with sinful people. The sinners, the tax collectors, you know, the, the, the people that are not holy, Jesus was spending a lot of time with them, and they were upset about it. Jesus told them this parable, and so he teaches us three parables in this chapter, and I'm going to break them down for you, but I found them fascinating, although they're very common stories in church or even in the New Testament. Many of you guys have heard these before, but my hope is that they would touch you in a new way as the Lord shares uh, his, his word with us today. So in verse 3, Jesus tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So our first parable is the lost sheep, right? And uh, Jesus moves into the next one. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Sound familiar? Jesus repeats again with the third parable. He continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That's kind of funny. You remember last week, the guy was demanding some inheritance then too. Boy, what a, what a funny deal that Jesus keeps coming back to that. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Bad deal. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he was living lavishly, but he's got problems now. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent himself or sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he was living the high life on daddy's money, right? Spent it all 
had a good time, but is now feeding pigs for a foreigner to survive. Listen to this. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He came to the realization he hit such a low point that he realized the pigs were living a better lifestyle than he was. This guy's in bad shape. When he came to his senses, that's important, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He comes to his senses and he starts realizing even the slaves in my father's house have food to spare and I have nothing and I'm his son. Well, it's the problem here. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he starts drumming this up in his head, right? He's like, I'm in a bad spot. I, I got to do something. Here's what I'll do. Go back to my dad, say I've blown it. I'm sorry. And we'll see what happens. That's what this guy's thinking, right? And this is actually one of my favorite parts. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. He, he, this was the place where this gentleman had courage, probably for the first time in his life. He had the courage that he realized, I've got a problem, and I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to own up to, to, to my situation here and do the right thing. And so he, he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's this picture. This son feels tremendous shame for his life. And he, it, it was, I guarantee you, all he could do to build the courage to actually go back home and confront his father about what his life had looked like. And he was probably expecting some punishment. He was probably expecting some, some, some ridicule, uh, some, some adult spankings, right? He was probably expecting something, but none of that he received. What did he receive? A running father coming to him with open arms in tremendous love. And so even then, as the father is hugging him and he's kissing him, he, he still finds the need to tell his father his broken condition, even though his father already knows his broken condition. But it was important to the son that he repented and told the father about his condition so that the father knew that he was really sorry. And frankly, the son needed to tell the father so that the son knew that the son was serious about changing his life. And, and that's a word for somebody out there, man. Sometimes in order to take the next step, you first got to have courage to talk to the father about it. But two, man, you, you, you need to, you, you need to to tell somebody, like you've, you've got to get it out. You have to repent. You actually have to verbalize the condition of your heart and the change that you desire or it'll never happen. And verse 22, we see this awesome character of God pictured here. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
And so they began to celebrate. And again, I, I put rejoice, right? Rejoice with me, he said in the previous two stories. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. A very familiar passage for some of us, but I had to take notice and really ask the Lord, why did he want me to land here? What is it that he wanted me to see? What is it that he wanted you to hear or see this morning? And as I prayed about it, thought about it, did some studying, I realized that there are three different types of lost condition here. And Jesus, there's a reason he gives us three stories and gives them three stories. And the, the first, the sheep was lost naturally, right? The sheep was lost naturally. A sheep doesn't really know they're a sheep. It's like, they only have the capacity to know what they know, right? And uh, sheep are dumb, and they just get lost. And when they get lost, sometimes they don't know they're lost. And there might be wolves right behind them, and they're eating grass like it's no big deal, right? And if it weren't for the shepherd, they would absolutely get mauled. That's the truth. That's the reality of a sheep. And as I go through and describe these lost conditions, I hope you would join me in actually seeing yourself as, also, as I saw myself in each of these three lost conditions. You know, my relationship, I'll, actually, I'll pause real quick and, and say, my relationship with the Lord, is, it goes like this. It really does. Um, I know God loves me. Jesus died for me. His spirit is in me. The Holy Spirit is the seal of my salvation. Jesus is indeed the, the, the love of my heart. But it doesn't always feel like that, nor does my life always reflect that. Uh, and a lot of times I feel distant from the Lord, or I feel lost from the Lord. Not lost in the sense like I've lost my salvation. Jesus paid for that at the cross of Calvary and has sealed me with his blood uh, as a payment for my sin. And he rose from the dead and put his spirit in me that I will rise with him on the day that he calls me home. And that is the good news. That is the gospel. So I don't, I don't feel lost in sense of like my salvation is gone, but I do feel lost at times in my relationship with the Lord. It's almost like a friend that you love dearly, but you move to a different city and, they, and then you're not quite as close. You still love them dearly, but you don't talk as much. And there's distance. There, you do almost feel, and the more distance that you insert in there and the longer you go without talking to them, the less of a friend they feel like to you, even though in your heart you really love them. But the truth is distance uh, has done its work on the relationship. And it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's required. But in our relationships with God, 
it can be one that's trialing, right? As you love the Lord and as you live your life for him and you want your life to reflect him and for yourself to do all that he's called and created you to do, it's tough when there's distance between you and God. It, it hurts. It, and so some of that is, is natural. And, and this helped me. This, this, this ministered to me as I don't need to shame myself when I feel distant from God sometimes, just like the sheep doesn't need to shame himself for finding himself in a different pasture. I, he just had his head down eating grass. He didn't, you know, he went through the fence and didn't even realize it, you know? And the shepherd's not mad, you know, at the sheep. He knows he's his sheep. He knows his condition. And the sheep, he goes and gets the sheep like a good shepherd does, and he puts him back where he needs him, right? And if the sheep is so wondrous that he can't stop getting out or can't stop putting himself into trouble, sometimes you guys have heard this, the shepherd will break the legs of the sheep so that he can keep him real close, right? This is a super wondrous sheep. And there's times where God has broke my legs and kept me really close to him because I'm a super wondrous sheep. But I'm encouraged by that. And I'm encouraged by this story. I'm encouraged by this first parable that says, when he finds the sheep, when, when, when the sheep is reunited with the shepherd, the shepherd calls his friends and, 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 and throws a party and he rejoices. He's so pumped that he got his sheep back. That's how God feels about us. That is his tender heart towards us. Even if you are distant from God, he's not scolding you, right? Or even if you haven't found yourself in the word for a few days, man, I, one, of the, one of the great dangers that we find ourselves in in the church, the modern church, even in this church, is, you know, we like to uh, talk about the importance of the Word of God. And it is, man. There's nothing more important than the Word when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. But, man, this is not like a good luck charm or anything like that. And, like, if there's a day that you don't get in the Word, it's going to be okay. It'll be all right. You know? I'm not telling you not to get in the Word, but I'm telling you don't shame yourself if you didn't get in the Word. Because if you are, that's not coming from the Father, it's not, man. It, it doesn't say that the shepherd was so ticked off at the sheep that he went and smacked him in the head and, and, and grabbed him by a rope and pulled him back in the pasture. Because sometimes that's what we do to ourselves. I do that to myself sometimes. Sometimes I shame myself around my relationship with the Lord, and that's not appropriate. That's not the heart of God, and I hope that might offer some encouragement to you. The second lost condition is the coin that the lady dropped, right? She lost the coin that was valuable to her, but it was lost accidentally. So I find myself in this condition too, where sometimes I'm lost, you know, like the sheep, because it's part of my sin nature. It's natural. Like, I'm a sinner, and I'm on this side of eternity. I live on planet Earth like all the other humans, right? And I experience all the other things that all the other humans experience. And naturally, I'm separated from God. Like, I, I mean, I can't literally touch God. Now, he lives in me, spiritually speaking. The Holy Spirit lives in me. But like, I'm not, like, these guys are actually at dinner with Jesus. I'm not at dinner with Jesus. Jesus is in me when I'm eating dinner, but I'm not actually sitting at the table with him, right? And so naturally, I'm separate from God. Where is Jesus now? Physically, he is at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That's where Jesus is. Now, he is omnipresent. He can be anywhere at any time. We don't have time to go into all that. But you get my point. Naturally, 
there's separation. And that we feel distance from God, even though we can be saved. We are saved. You know, those that are saved are saved. Those that are not saved are not saved. Uh, different types of distance there. But uh, so, so sometimes we might feel lost naturally, much like the sheep. Sometimes we'll feel lost or distance or separation from God accidentally, like the lady that lost the coin. Well, she didn't want to lose it, right? Didn't want to lose it. In fact, is desperately searching the house to find it. And sometimes I feel as if I'm that lost coin, that like I, I know that I'm a prized possession to the owner of the coin, to, to God. You know, I'm the coin. He's the, he's the owner. He's the father. I, sometimes I feel like bad news happens in my life, you know, or I heard something about somebody or something that I wish wasn't true, but it was true and it hurt me. Or somebody did something to me that hurt me. Or, uh, you know, I hurt myself on accident. Or uh, circumstantially, something happened in life that is just a part of life. And it's not awesome, but it happened. And I'm hurt. And that hurt and that pain puts distance between me and God. It does. If you've ever walked with anybody that's going through any kind of hurt or trauma or pain in their life, they uh, they will tell you, that they feel distant from God, not necessarily because of their sin, but just circumstantially things have happened in their life and it hurts. It's accidental. But what's awesome about this story is that if you find yourself in that place, like I found myself in that place, I, I, I have experienced things and have heard uh, recent news that has hurt me deeply, substantial hurt. And I'm like that lost coin where I feel like, God, this news makes me feel further from you, not closer. But I hear this parable and I hear Jesus telling me, don't be discouraged, man. The father is like that lady just madly cleaning her house looking for that coin. And the good news is at the end of that story that she, fi- that, that she finds the coin. And when she does, she calls her friends and neighbors together and they have a sick party. Like, that's how Jesus and God are pursuing me in my life and in my hurts and my pains and the separation that I feel from God in my humanity is God is bridging that gap and he is pursuing me and he's madly cleaning the house to come and find me and, and, and restore me as that lost coin. I am precious to him. You are precious to him. That distance that you might feel with God. Look, I'm not talking to lost people here. I'm talking to the church. Like, if you feel distant from the Lord, man, he is, he's not far. He's coming after you. And then we get to, so the, the first one is the sheep got lost naturally by happenstance. The coin got lost accidentally. The son got lost willfully. The son was lost because he made a lot of bad decisions. The son was lost because his heart was not in the right place. The son was lost because he fell into temptation and was unbridled in his nature, and it led him into substantial sin. And I I see myself in all three of these. Like, and I hope that's encouraging to you. 
Like I'm literally the guy on stage that's tasked to bring the word of God to you guys. But the last thing I want to be is the stiff-robed, stubby-footed Pharisee that makes you feel like my life is together and you need to get your life together. No. We're all in this together, and I'm daily asking Jesus to help me piece my life together, much like you're doing the same. If you weren't, you probably wouldn't be here. And so I hope my transparency is a blessing to you this morning in the sense that, um, you know, there are times where, where I do, I just, I feel that distance between me and the Lord. And it's not because God doesn't love me. We see in all three of these that God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is limitless, regardless of whether the distance is natural, whether it's um, accidental, or whether it's willful. You know, God's, the, the, the character and the heart of God is indeed, um, his, his grace and his mercy are, are, are limitless. And uh, I hope that, that you guys can identify with one of these three, or potentially even all of these three. I think we're fooling ourselves if we think that our relationship with Jesus, once you come to know Christ through salvation, and I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that our relationship with the Lord just gets better and better and better and better and better without any sort of blip on the radar. I think that's unreasonable, and I think it's unrealistic. But I do think at times in the church, uh, that picture is painted that it needs to be like that. And when you're not on like the steady trajectory, you know, like, man, I got saved, you know, I was a sinner and then, you know, and then now I got saved and now I'm like on this path with Jesus and things just keep getting better and better and better and better and better. Oh, that is like a lie. It doesn't happen for anybody. Like I'm not a prophet, but I am like, I know that I'm not alone in my experience with the Lord. Now, I think over time, Trending, I'm trending upward, but it's definitely, and sometimes it feels like this, <laughs> feels like an Ozark mountain back road, you know, my walk with the Lord, and maybe that's why I like the Ozarks so much, um, but the reality is uh, the devil's real good about shaming us when we get off the, the straight line, you know, we blip a little bit, and he's like, pours on the shame. And, and that is not the teaching of Jesus. Like, Jesus does not want you to feel that. He doesn't want you to carry that. And uh, I believe strongly that as you look into the Word, as you look into the, to your life, and you identify with this, that, that there would be some action, you know, on your part. Uh, and I, I'm going to land this thing here fairly shortly. I'll, I'll go ahead and invite the, the band up. And... I want you guys to think, though, about who, who are you in the story? As I've been teaching the last couple of weeks, working through the Gospel of Luke, there's so many, so many things to glean from in here. There's so much to learn from in what the Lord has shown us. But the one thing that I've really gotten out of this is all of, because I've read the Gospel of Luke, you know, 25 times in my life, you know, and nobody cares. Like, that doesn't matter. I could read it 125 times. It doesn't, the point is, 
Am I hearing from the Lord when I'm in it? That's all that matters. And if I didn't hear from him yesterday, that's okay. Am I willing to hear from him today? That, that's, that's the only thing that matters. God's mercies are new every day. His spirit is alive in me every day. He's, he's, at, the, he's at the right hand of the Father, man. Not, Jesus, Jesus never changes. The only thing that does change is me or the environment that I'm living in, right? But he's always the same. And as I read the word, and in all, I hope what you've got from me over the last couple of weeks, one is transparency from my life to yours. And hopefully you don't feel alone in some of the things that you're trapped in or lost in or lonely in or hurt in, because I'm feeling all of that with you. I hope you feel comfort in that. Uh, the second thing is, is God's word definitely will speak to you if you let it. And there's a lot of times in my life I haven't let it. And there's a lot of times in my life I've been just like the Pharisees. I've read the Bible like every day for like a month. And I thought, wow, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really on track. And, I'm like, and I didn't hear anything from the Lord. And then there's other times where I barely get in the Word. Like I literally might read like one verse, but man, it like sustained me. It's like chugging a full glass of water when I'm so thirsty. Like that one verse, that one word. It's, it all is dependent upon the condition of your heart. But I, I pray that you would, as you're reading the Word, particularly the Gospels, you know, I don't have the calendar to finish out this Luke series, but I will finish it on my own time. And I, maybe God would lead you to do the same. And you would start to listen to the teachings of Jesus and find yourself in the story because you're in every one of them and Jesus will meet you there no matter how lost you feel how broken you feel how happy you feel how joyful you are I mean I hope that you are the latter and not the former but the reality is is we all experience different things sometimes I feel like I experience every emotion every day (laughs) like from the top to the bottom Uh, some of that's my personality but if you get in the word Ask Jesus to show you where you're at. You know, I thought that originally I was frustrated with the Lord that he had me land in John 15. I'm like, really, God? I'm like, I'm supposed to come up here and like preach a sermon and I'm supposed to like be impactful and I'm supposed to, you know, lead these people. I'm supposed to have something inspirational for them and I'm literally going to preach the stereotypical prodigal son sermon where like, oh yeah, he went and blew the money and you know he comes back and the father loves him. You know, and I'm not like watering that down, but I kind of am. I was in my head like, Lord, that's not, I, come on. That's, that's like church 101. Like, isn't there like something new and fresh I could give them? You know, isn't there like some like radical, you know, breaking down of the Greek word and the this? No. He's like, dude, just preach the word, man. Bring the word. And he's like, you're in all these stories. Like, you're, you're just like the sheep. You're just like the coin and you're just like the prodigal son. And the, and the reality is, is I, the, 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 the love and the tenderness of the shepherd, the lady with the coin, and the father is all indicative of the heart of God. And I was overwhelmed with God's love for me and where he, he knows where I'm at. He knows the hurts that I have, the hangups that I have. He knows the distance that I feel at times from him. He doesn't shame me for that. He loves me for it. And he, and he wants to nurture me closer to him one day at a time if I'll let him. And I pray that we would have attitudes of the son, right? 
in verse 20, my favorite of them all, he says he got up and went to his father. And so I'm going to invite you guys to join me in a spirit of prayer. And if you would, just bow your heads and, and, and close your eyes. As you, as you think about yourself in these stories, as you think about what God is saying to you this morning, you might be, on, in one hand, you, you might be the sinner in the room that's never found salvation, never received Christ for the first time. Maybe this morning God is saying to you, get up and come to me. And you need to make a decision to follow him, not, not in fear, not in, not in, in scarcity, not, not for any other reason other than you're, you're legitimately sorry for the sin in your life. You agree with God that it's, that is what's separating you from him. And he will receive you with open arms and salvation will be yours for free at the cost of Jesus's blood. You might be in here like me, who's been saved for 13 years and I love Jesus ever since, but also am honest with myself about some distance that I feel at times in my relationship with him. And, and the father just says, come home. And, and he's not, the father's not waiting on the recliner for me to come all the way in, man. The father is eagerly wanting to meet me in the field. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each one here. I thank you for the band as they've led worship this morning. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that your spirit has moved among us. I pray that the word of God in John 15 is spoken, Lord. I pray that these folks see themselves in the story. And Jesus, you meet them right where they need to be met. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your character and goodness. It's in the name of Christ that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.